We are uh, in week number three of a sermon series that we have started over the past couple of weeks, and we are entitling it Once Upon a Time. And you know the reason why, if you've been here in the last two Sundays, you know uh, how often stories begin that way as we retell stories. And really, the intent of this series of messages over these summer weeks is, is for us to look back and see how God has worked through the Old Testament. And we're specifically focusing on some of the big stories in the Old Testament. Some things, uh, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard these stories before. You, you've been told these. You've read these. You've seen them acted out either in flannel. Right? Remember flannel graph? Or you've seen videos or you've heard a pastor talk about it. You've, you've been in Sunday school class where these stories have been told and retold again and again. So for some of us, it's a refresher course. For others, even in this room today, there are some who may have never heard some of these stories. Maybe these names are just names that uh, you've heard in common language and you've never known uh, that these are biblical accounts. So this morning as we continue on, in week one, we talked about creation. We went back to Genesis 1-1, and we reminded ourselves that in the beginning, God created, right? Powerful reminder about how this all came to be, answering the question of what are we here for? Why are we here? How are we here? We answered all of the questions that surround creation, right? No, we didn't. But we know the starting point, that God did it. God created all that we have. Last week, a little obscure passage, right? A, a reminder about Lot's wife. Remember what we called her? Mrs. Mrs. Morton, yeah. If you're still curious about that, just go to the aisle three at Walmart, I think. I have no idea what aisle. And uh, look at the salt aisle, salt, salt shakers, salt baking aisle. Yeah, aisle 17. I have no idea. Mrs. Morton, Lot's wife, and the reminder of God calling us to obedience. And I've had a few conversations in the past couple of weeks with people. Uh, some people have texted me, some people have emailed me, some people have stopped me in the hallway or stopped by uh, the office through the week to tell me what an impact these messages and this refresher course, if you will, is having in their life as we are going back to some of these stories from the Old Testament. And I find myself in good company uh, that is enjoying looking back at these stories from the Old Testament. And I think one of the reasons that we should do this, that one of the reasons that we shouldn't just uh, uh, cut our Bibles in half and remove the Old Testament from uh, our Bible, or, or maybe even just forget about it, is, is that we see in the Old Testament just how powerfully God sought to reach after humanity. Just how often God reached out from heaven to influence, to try to be in relationship, try to communicate with his creation. God did it over and over again. And most of these stories from the Old Testament reveal God's desire to be in relationship, to be in communication with his people. God wants to communicate with you and to me to strengthen the relationship with him, to know him, to reach those around us to know him. That is our pursuit. That's our desire. That's the reason the church exists. It doesn't exist, heads up, it doesn't exist to make us comfortable this morning. The church of Jesus Christ is not designed for you and for me. It is designed to be a force to be reckoned with in the world around us. 
It's designed for uh, you and me to be caught up in the, in the work that Jesus wants to do in the world, to continue the work that we see being done through the Old and New Testament, to continue the work of being literally Christ's hands and feet, to communicate God's love, God's desire for humanity to be in relationship with Him. This morning I want to start with this phrase, if God takes the time to speak to you and to me, if God truly desires to speak, to call us to himself, to tell us what his will is for our life, if God truly takes the time to speak to you and me, shouldn't we make every effort to listen and obey? This morning we're going to look back at 1 Samuel and we're going to learn about the character Samuel from 1 Samuel. Samuel is a unique character in the Old Testament, one that we hear of for many, many chapters, one that has a great lineage attached to him. But we first hear about Samuel and his life through his mother, Hannah, way back in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah, the wife or the mother of Samuel, is the second wife of a God-fearing man, Elkanah. Everybody say Elkanah. How many of you understand that when a pastor says a word from the Old Testament like Elkanah, he has no idea how it's really pronounced? (laughs) Anybody know that? I I just gave you guys a a, a peek behind the curtain. When we read uh, words or names in the Old Testament, oftentimes we're just saying it kind of boldly, hoping that you'll follow along. In in the New Testament, the same is true. How many of you have learned uh, the name of Zacchaeus from Matthew's Gospel? You learned the name, it was pronounced Zacchaeus. How many of you learned it, the name Zacchaeus, right? It's just wherever you were raised, that's the name that was used. It's the same spelling, but we just pronounce it differently because we like to say things kind of bold. So Elkanah was Hannah's husband. And Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah, Peninnah, say that. Peninnah, yeah, you guys aren't playing along. Peninnah, she had children, but Hannah didn't, we find out in Scripture. Peninnah, Elkanah's wife had children. God blessed her with the ability to reproduce, to have children to her husband. But Hannah, his other wife, that's kind of interesting, right? Thankfully, we don't do that anymore. That was a reality of going on in this day. One wife was able to bear children and the other, Hannah, at the moment, was unable to bear children. And guess how great that household was. It was a storybook, happy ever after, right? Can you imagine the stress that went on? Look, look at here. It's going to be on the screen for you. First Samuel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says this. Here's a once upon a time. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they traveled, as they went to the tabernacle for worship. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. How about that for a once upon a time in the start of this story of the young boy Samuel? Not a very happy start to this life. These two in competition. I, I, I want to just say this. What a lovely woman Peninnah must have been, right? What a, what a neighbor. What a, a gal worth having as a friend, right? 
So although she was unable to bear any children, Hannah, fearing of God in her heart, continued to petition the Lord for his blessing. She desired so much to bear children for her husband. In fact, Scripture says that the priest at the time, his name is Eli. We're going to look at him in just a moment too. Eli, the priest at the time, was in charge of worship at the tabernacle. And every time Hannah would come into the tabernacle, she would be found praying. And Scripture records this one interaction where Hannah is praying without, without speaking. She's just moving her lips. Uh, she, she, she's praying under her breath, but her, her, her facial expressions, her, her lips are moving, and Eli, being the good priest that he is, approaches her and tries to shut her down because he thinks she's drunk. How many of you have ever been uh, accused of being drunk because you have your eyes closed and you're praying without speaking? It has never happened to me. It's kind of interesting to see that going on in this story in 1 Samuel. Eli approaches Hannah, and Hannah is so defensive in this moment, and she asks for Eli's forgiveness. She says, I'm, I'm not drinking. In fact, in fact, I'm going before the Lord and praying for his blessing for me to bear children for my husband. And in this interaction, it's beautiful. Eli adds his blessing and his petition to the Lord for Hannah to receive that blessing, the opportunity to give birth. And guess what happens? The book is called 1 Samuel. God blesses Hannah. And she gives birth to her son, and she named him Samuel. One of the cool things, again, about ancient languages is uh, Hebrew has some funny words in it, just like English has some funny words in it. Amen? Hebrew has some funny words, and the name Samuel in the Old Testament is taken from a Hebrew word that sounds like the term asked of God. So Hannah names her son Samuel in kind of a joking way of acknowledging that she asked God specifically for this young boy. And when Samuel was still just a young boy, Hannah brought him to the tabernacle to dedicate him to the Lord. Remember uh, what we do? We kind of uh, continue this tradition in the church today. Hannah brought her son, Samuel, to the tabernacle, to uh, Eli the priest, Eli the judge, Eli the, the leader of God's people there. She brought him to him to be dedicated to the Lord and to the Lord's service. And actually, something we don't continue to this day, praise the Lord, except around VBS time. <laughs> Hannah left her child there at the tabernacle. She leaves him behind to be raised there in, in God's service. She knew this blessing from the Lord was to be set aside for God's purposes. And so she allows young Samuel to be raised there in the temple. In fact, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26 says this on the screen. Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. So Samuel is being raised to be a, a, a useful worker for the Lord. He is being put into place by his family. He is being set aside for the service of the Lord. On the contrary, Eli, the priest, had some sons. And Scripture reveals some things about these pastors, kids. That's not so great. These sons of, of Eli, Scripture tells us very plainly that they were rotten. <laughs> They were 
Not the kind of pastor's kids you want to be known as. In fact, they did some things in Scripture. In the Old Testament, the story is very clear. Uh, with some, some of the things, they would send a, a servant to the temple, to the tabernacle, during times of sacrifice, and they would require that servant, at, as these kids, as these young men, they would tell him to steal some meat that was being offered as a sacrifice to the Lord. Steal some meat for them. Bring it back to their place so they could have a party and enjoy. And they would require that servant to do that even though they knew that was wrong. Even though their father, the priest, turned his head in shame and disgust. Another thing they did, these sons of Eli would literally, Scripture says, they would do this. They would stand at the temple doors waiting for young women to arrive that they could seduce themselves. Right there in God's presence, right there, at the place where people gathered for worship, these young men, these sons of Eli, were sinning against the Lord. All the while, Hannah's son Samuel is growing in age, growing in favor of the Lord and all of the people. We don't know all of his tasks that were required. Uh, we look back in history and we see some of what was required of uh, someone who was being raised in the temple for worship of the Lord. But it's fascinating as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, what God does in this moment of Samuel's life. And I want to read chapter 3 to us, verses 1 through 19. Listen to this story of God's call upon Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Meanwhile, with all that going on, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel! Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Leave me alone. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am! Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls out again, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Verse 11, then the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I am going to carry out all of my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God, and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifice or offering. Verse 15, Samuel stayed in bed until morning. 
then got up and opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had told him, said to him. But Eli called out to him, Samuel, my son, here, here I am, Samuel replied. What did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. It is the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks best. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. Pray with me. Jesus, speak. Your servants are listening. In these moments, God, I pray that your spirit would do a work in and through us and remind us of your voice here. Amen. It's a cool story, right? Great story of young Samuel and his brought into creation by a mother's prayer before the Lord, a desire to bear children for her husband. And God blessed that prayer, heard that prayer and answered it. The young boy coming to life, coming into this world, what a blessing. We use that story a lot. The faithfulness of a mother to petition the Lord. And then this young boy raised in the presence of God. Literally, the presence of God was held there in the tabernacle. It's unique to understand for us. It doesn't really connect necessarily in our modern day experiences of worship. But God was present there. And young Samuel's being raised around God's presence. And scripture says, he didn't yet know him. God chooses Samuel to speak his words to via supernatural means. God's voice audibly heard by this young man to deliver an important message. There are three things that I want us to focus on. Three things. If you're one that likes to write things down or fill in the blanks, if you're doing that on the Bible app this morning. Three things that I think are worth understanding. The first is this. God speaks to unprepared people. God speaks to unprepared people. This is good news for you and for me today. How many of you have prepared for everything that's going on today? You know every, everything's in place, everything's good, nothing's out of place. Nobody wants to admit. There's some things that I'm not prepared for this week. Jess and Ezra are going uh, off to camp today and tomorrow, and I've got to be a solo dad for Ella. Pray for her. <laughs> I am thankful today to serve a God that speaks to unprepared people. Again, the, 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 the wonder of this story is that Samuel is in the very presence of God. We know for, uh, from our text this morning that he's still a child at this point, raised in the holy place of worship. Still a child, weaned from his mother, delivered to Eli the priest, and to be raised in this tent of meeting, this tabernacle, this temple of worship. 
Samuel, in the context of his reality, he knows the voice of his master, Eli. He knows uh, those that are in charge of him. He knows the direction. He knows their commands, their teaching, their instruction. But he is not yet able to discern the voice of the Lord. And yet God calls him. Samuel's assumption in his interaction as he hears the voice of the Lord, his assumption that it's the voice of his teacher is, is, is very obvious for us, right? It makes a lot of sense. He would have known his master's voice. He would have known his master Eli. He would have known that Eli would often call him and tell him and give him instruction and commands on what he needs to do for the Lord. And yet it was God who continued to speak through messengers, people throughout the Old Testament, prophets and priests would speak through them. And the children of Israel continued to seek the will of the Lord and often, as you read the Old Testament, go against it through what they received from those prophets and priests, of which Samuel was not. Samuel knew to listen to Eli for God's word. I think it's also worth noting this morning that even though Samuel was close in proximity to God, he didn't recognize God's voice initially. Samuel's position didn't reflect his preparation. He wasn't ready. And God still chose to speak to him. Samuel responded to the call even without knowing who it was. And Eli, thank God, was able to guide him into the conversation with God. This, this is just a reminder to me about how cool God is. For God to speak to unprepared people, so often we think God talks to people that work in an office inside of a church at 1215 Riverview Road, right? We, we, we think that God talks to our pastors, those who are in leadership. We think God talks to uh, spiritual teachers, those who have written books, right? We think that God speaks to those whose, whose, whose lifetime job, their career revolves around studying and presenting God's word in messages, right? I, I, I know God has spoken to me, but I want you to hear this. God speaks to those of us who are unprepared. God speaks to unprepared people. Those who are far from God, God is still so desiring to reach people who don't have a clue about him, that he is willing to reach them with his voice. He's willing to reach them through a dream. He's willing to reach them through you and to me. There is no requirement. Get this. There's nothing that we can not do for God not to desire to speak to us. One of the coolest things I've read about in the last several years is how God has continued to reveal himself and reveal the person of Jesus to those who are a part of the Muslim faith through dreams. I've read some incredible accounts, and, and I've gotta, I got to just admit this. I am a skeptic when it comes to hearing stuff about how God does things miraculously. Anybody? Don't raise your hand. I think there are some skeptics in, in, our, in our presence. I think I'm among good company that when we read something or we hear something about how God has revealed himself to someone else, we go, oh, that's a great story, cuckoo. <laughs> Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's just your pastor and I got to get some counseling. I've 
read some incredible things, some very vivid dreams that God has in the subconscious of those who are following Islam, how God has revealed himself in dreams to those who had no knowledge of Jesus Christ. And God revealed himself to them and they sought after an answer for these dreams, these vivid dreams of the Son of God. And they found Jesus. I've told you before, one of my favorite authors in the area of Christianity and Islam is Nabil Qureshi. And he is in heaven now. He passed away just a couple years ago from cancer. But in his books, he reveals the insane dreams God gave him to reveal Jesus Christ, the living Son of God. God speaks to unprepared people One more reality of that in the unpreparedness attitude that Samuel was in. In verse 7, we we learn that Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. He hadn't yet been in relationship with God himself. And yet, in that state, God knew him. And he chose to call him by his name. There's no hey you in this moment, right? Right? God chose to call him by his name. Write this down. God knows my name, even if I don't know his voice. God knows your name. Let's make it less personal. God knows your neighbor's name. God knows your your nephew's name. God knows your son's name, your daughter's name. God knows your mom's name, your dad's name, your aunt's name, your uncle's name. God knows every detail about those who are far from him, those who don't yet know who he is, those who don't yet understand his voice. God knows them and loves them and desires to be in relationship with them. God knows my name even when I don't know his voice. Not only does God speak to unprepared people, but God speaks at an unpredictable time. Many of us in this service have experienced those times of uh, worship bliss, if you will. Those times in our life where we know, okay, I met with God during that 16th verse that we sang of the same song at camp meeting. You know what I'm saying? God spoke to me in that moment when that that video played or when I heard my favorite worship song when I was going through a, a rough time and the radio changed and I heard the song and God spoke to me. We know some of those predictable times. We've been in worship services. We've been on Sunday morning time. And and people have said, God spoke to you, Seven. God spoke to me through your message. I've heard that. I've experienced that where we've been in times of worship. And we know, hey, this is those moments. These, These are those times God is speaking to me as I read scripture every morning during my devotion time. Those are predictable times. You get me? We know how to hear the voice of the Lord at predictable times, but I am so thankful that God speaks at unpredictable times. God's voice is often loudest when other things around me seem loud. 
We're usually quite familiar with the predictable times where we find opportunity to communicate with God, but the story reveals to us a different nature of God that we don't often talk about. Not only does God choose to speak to Samuel during the dark of night as he's going to sleep, but this time in the life of Israel as a nation is revealed to us in Scripture here that they are spiritually dark. Verse Verse 1 of 1 Samuel 3 says, In those days the word of the Lord was rare, and not many had visions. Not many visions. Not many experiences of God's presence in the people of Israel as they served the Lord. Do you ever get stuck in a rut? Don't look at the person next to you and say, You're stuck in a rut right now. When we pastored, we were pastoring in, in, in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, and I was leading the Shippensburg First Wesleyan Church. My, my office, I w- it was a small church, and, and my office, I, I met with my staff every morning. I've told you this before. Uh, my staff consisted of me. And I had lunch with my staff every day, and, and I, I had meetings with my staff every day because it was me. It was wonderful some of the loneliest years of my ministry so far. But one of the cool things about that, that uh, facility, that church, we, we lived a few miles away from the church, not as nearly as close as we live uh, right now, but every day I, I survived those years with lunch by myself on every college student's favorite meal, ramen noodles. I was a pro. I had a glass bowl that I would heat water up and uh, I would heat my water to boiling and I I would pour in the noodles, mix them around and add that fake chicken flavor. (laughs) Every single day for lunch it was my favorite thing to do and occasionally uh, Jess and the kids would uh, call me during lunchtime and say, hey, we're going to stop in and we're going to bring you lunch. And often that call made my day because it meant they were probably going to stop at the world's greatest fast food restaurant, Taco Bell. (laughs) That's where we're going for Father's Day today. I'm just kidding, we're not. Taco Bell was uh, one of the only fast food restaurants in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. And so they would bring me a couple tacos, more like seven or eight. No, I'm just kidding. And they would bring me my favorite sauce from Taco Bell, mild sauce. I, I love the hot sauce. I love the fire sauce, but mild was just great. And occasionally I'd finish my lunch and I would have a couple extra packets of mild sauce that I would tuck away in a desk drawer until the next time I had to make ramen noodles for lunch. I branched out a little bit from the rut I was in and I started to add mild sauce from Taco Bell to ramen noodles. If you are scared of it, I just dare you to try it. It will change your life as it did for me. And I learned in that moment what uh, benefit it is of getting out of the rut, gotten out of the uh, experiences that I knew about and to try something different. I don't tell you that story to entice you to go to Taco Bell for Father's Day today. But the illustration is a reality that no matter how confined we attempt to keep our God, no matter how regimented, no matter how often we think God does this, no matter how often we tell uh, God how we expect him to respond to us, how, how we don't ask God to interrupt our schedules, how we know where God exists, right? Sometimes by, by our words, sometimes by our actions, we think God is only in this place, 
And that if we have enough time in the week, if we have enough gumption on a Sunday, maybe we'll make time for worshiping Him. No matter how often we fall into those traps, I want you to hear it this morning. God, our Father, is speaking. God is proclaiming His goodness. God is proclaiming His love. God is proclaiming His truth. No matter where we find ourselves, God is speaking. He is not bound by your schedule or mine. Our God speaks at unpredictable times. The challenge in understanding that reality is for you and me to recognize God's voice. To truly hear from Him and to know His will for our life. God speaks to unprepared people. God speaks at unpredictable times. And number three, this this one's tough. 1 Samuel chapter 3 reminds us that God speaks with an unpopular message. If I'm writing the story of Samuel in this moment, nothing more would I want than to talk about how God spoke to young Samuel for the first time and gave him this encouraging message. (laughs) If I I was putting words into Scripture, if I was doing wrong and and rewriting Scripture, I would want to tell a story that said God spoke to Samuel in this first interaction and he said, Samuel, I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of where I have brought you to and through, young boy. I'm so proud of the young man you're becoming and how you are devoting your life to me and how you are doing the will of your Father in heaven and honoring me. Maybe as God, I would want to say, son, you're going to grow up to be a great judge of my people and I will bestow my wisdom upon you. Mine will be yours and I will be with you always. But instead, in this first interaction, that Samuel has with God, his heavenly father. God gives him a message that wouldn't have been the best message to have to give back to Eli. Samuel's first message from the Lord is the unpopular message that God's wrath is upon Eli's household for the sins they have committed and that Eli had failed to restrain them from. How's that? for an unpopular message. Imagine the relationship issues. Imagine Samuel trying to go back to bed after that. Imagine hearing and knowing that it was God speaking to you and God wasn't just saying, hey, I'm proud of you. Hey, uh, tomorrow I, I, I want you to eat Taco Bell for lunch. Imagine Samuel being told, hey, here's what's about to happen to your mentor. Here's what's about to happen to his household. Here's what I'm going to do because of their sin. And yet we know today that if God reveals a difficult truth, he has a reason. God's truth is not changing. In this case, God was preparing Samuel for a lifetime of communication Samuel's ministry as a judge over Israel would continue to involve delivering both good and bad news from God to everyone, from shepherds to kings. He learned to be faithful to God's message because he knew that God's word 
was always true. God's word is always true. Through Samuel's experience, Samuel would have continued to learn and be taught that God's word must be accepted, even if it seems unacceptable. He learned from this young age, from this experience from God, that God's word is true. It may not be popular. It may not be liked. It may not be easy. But it must be accepted. Can I say it this way? If we don't like what God has to say, And if we are even unfaithful to what God does say, it does not change what God says. If we don't like it, if we're not comfortable with it, it doesn't change. God's word is true. If we don't accept God's word as truth, well, it doesn't change it. What it does is it just destroys our ability to be in relationship with him. What it does is it makes us miserable. As we try to make things work on our own and we turn a, a nose to God and we say, I don't want anything to do with the way you say I'm supposed to live my life. We're not doing anything except removing our ability to be in relationship with God. We don't get to change his standard. God's word is true. So how does this apply to you and me today? What does this story of Samuel teach us about our desire, our need to live for Jesus? I think it serves as a reminder of our need to hear from God. To know that God is speaking, to understand that we can't speak for God until we first hear from him. And we have to develop lifestyles that focus on opportunities to listen to God. How do we do that? I got a couple ideas. We can learn to recognize God's voice by spending time with those who know God. Spend time with those who hear from God. Samuel was in Eli's presence continually. He was under the teaching of a man who followed after God to the best of his ability. Samuel knew where to be. Secondly, we can expect God to speak in unscheduled times. Not just the times where we think, this is the moment God is going to speak. If you and I are doing all of the talking, how could we ever expect him to speak? Third, when we hear from God, let's believe it and let's act upon it. Do you know how often we live in a culture, we, we, we live in a culture that, that desires a second opinion on everything, good, good and bad, right? We live in a culture that tells us, if you hear something that you don't like, just ask someone else, right? That there's no absolute truth, you can ask somebody how, how they think about this, and if you don't like that, you can ask a church what they believe about this certain thing, and if you don't like what they have, then just go next door, Right? Our culture is very much that way. When we hear the truth from God's word, friends, we must know its truth, accept it as truth, and respond 
accordingly. If you know that God has called you to action, strive to be a person of action. If you know that God has blessed you in unique ways to serve Him, do so with joy in your heart. We as a church, I don't mean Hyde Wesleyan Church, I mean the Big C Church. We continue to find ourselves known by what we're unwilling to do than what we're willing to do. There, there are many who are waiting for things to align to make it the, the least uncomfortable for them to serve God fully. And I really believe God's message for us this morning is to jump in and say, I am listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. In closing this morning, God's silence, apparent silence, doesn't mean that he doesn't have anything to say. He may very well just be looking for someone who will listen. And those opening phrases of 1 Samuel 3, the reality that God's word was very silent during that season, God was seemingly quiet in those moments. Didn't mean that God was holding himself back. It may have meant that he was waiting for the right person to speak to. Know that God will initiate the conversation regardless of your situation in your life or your previous relationship. No, no matter where you are in spiritual terms, hear me again. God is speaking. He speaks to us because he wants to begin something in us. He wants to be in relationship with you and for me. Know that God may speak to you when you won't have, when He won't have to compete with the noises in your life. Does God have your undivided attention? Are you willing for God to mess things up in your life? I know that God will not always tell you what you want to hear but he will always speak the truth in love. And it's the truth we need. Maybe not the truth we want, but the truth we need. Will you stand with me in closing? Eli taught Samuel to respond to God's prompting by saying, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. It might be weird. You might talk about me later. But I want us to do that today corporately as a church. Make it personal for you. But together, I want us to close our service in unison, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. The phrase is simple. It requires us admitting that God is Lord. He has ownership of us. We are His. When we say, Speak, Lord, we are acknowledging that He is in charge. 
So if you're with me, wherever you find yourself today, whatever your story, wherever your background, if you are willing to say, God, lead me, God, lead us, then repeat after me in saying this phrase. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Bow your heads. Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would speak. That you would lead, guide, and direct us by your audible voice, by your still small voice, by your voice through your word, your voice through others. Would you speak, Lord? We truly are seeking to listen. Would you give us direction in our everyday? Would you give us direction in the big decisions that we must make time and time again? God, would you speak to us? Lead us towards yourself. And thank you. Thank you for the grace that we have today when we find ourselves not listening. And Lord, may that grace lead us to listen. We love you. We thank you for the day you've given to us. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. And God's people said together, amen. God bless you. Happy Father's Day.